welcome to you. Just again, if it is your first time with us this morning, I hope somebody said hello to you. My name's Barney, and I have the privilege of leading the team here at Gateway. And, uh, and so just on the new wine thing, we as a church this year, um, we, we have a, a, an event that we will be going to that's part of our group of churches called Catalyst um, next year. But this year, because that isn't taking place, we, we thought, hey, look, new wine's just down the road. And I was just joking with uh, Claire uh, when Cheryl made the thing about searching for new wine on the internet. Um, you might be taken to Lathwaite's or somewhere like that. Um, so, but yeah, it's the new wine festival um, because we want the wine of the spirit in our lives. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we are in a eight-week series on our cultural values as a church. And our cultural values are who we want to be. And so you can differentiate them from our vision, because our vision is where God is leading us to, but our cultural values are who we want to be as we're going on that journey. And so we've looked at being present-centered, honoring one another, being joyful, being authentic. And today I have the privilege of looking at generosity and being a people who live generously. We want to be a people who live generously. And even if we weren't going through a series on our cultural values as a church, we would be talking about the topic of money at the moment because we are in a crazy season, aren't we, of economic upheaval. And I think in a season of economic upheaval, like the one that we are living in at the moment, it is time to consider and we must consider what money means to us as Christians and how we should use it wisely. Because what we've got in our pockets isn't worth what it was a year ago. There are people across our church who work in industries where there have been strikes over the last few weeks because your wages don't meet the, the, the needs that you have and don't, don't, you don't deserve the wage that you're getting for the job that you do. There are, there are people across our church struggling to pay their electricity, their gas bills at the moment. So we need to talk about it, don't we? It's important that we do. It's important that we talk about subjects that our culture is facing. So as we hit our series in 1 Corinthians, we will be talking about sex. Um, and we will have some evenings. We're going to do some evenings on talking about um, sexuality as well. So I know that that has been a big thing this week. And it, we recognise as leaders, if we don't talk about this stuff, where are you going to find out about it from? So it's important we talk about it. Um, but if you were going to take a, kind of create a, a scale... Uh, like a, a spectrum, and you were going to look at the idea of um, money, what you would find is that you would find that there's, there's two ends to the spectrum on Christian teaching on money. So on one side, you've got what's called asceticism. Now, asceticism means living with very little, like monks live. And so the, the idea that underpins asceticism is the less you have, the more like Jesus you are. So Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. He, he, though he was rich, made himself poor. Yeah, we can find some scriptures for this quite quickly, can't we? There's a problem with it, and the problem is this, is that when you get to the New Testament, Paul writes that we need to be hospitable with people. And if you're living as an, as an ascetic, how can you be hospitable to somebody if you've got nothing to give them? That becomes a slight problem. On the other end of the scale, you've got a form of teaching called prosperity. And prosperity teaching will teach you that your financial wealth shows how spiritually healthy you are. So the more money you've got, the more God is blessing you. Hallelujah. <laughs> not meant to say that. It's all well and good when you've got money. 
It's all well and good when you just got that promotion or that new car, or you just got the thing that you wanted, but what happens when you lose your job and it is no, nothing to do with you? What happens when there's an earthquake and you don't just lose your job, but you lose the building that you live in and you lose your family members around you and it's nothing that you've done, but it's just happened to you? I dare any prosperity teacher to go and preach that message in Turkey today. It's not going to work, is it? It's not going to work to preach that message to Ukrainian refugees unable to work after fleeing their, their, kind of their homes. So, so we have problems with both ends of this spectrum. I would say if you're going to lean towards one, you should lean towards asceticism. But even that isn't right. And so, look, to be honest with you, I think the best place that we can find teaching on any subject is Jesus. <laughs> because he reveals the rest of the Bible to us through the lens of the Son of God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read Matthew 6 together. And we're going to be reading Matthew 6, verses uh, 19 onwards. So I'm just going to have to do a bit of uh, jiggery-pokery here because I can't read it unless I get my Bible. And my Bible's underneath a piece of paper and I'm holding a mic. Hold on. Right. I got a new Bible for Christmas. And when I got it, I was a little bit disappointed because the text is really small. <laughs> so I'm like that. Okay. So this is from Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this from verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They did not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I, I, I came to a light on this text as I was praying earlier this week, and I keep forgetting to fix the eaves of our house and put some wire up there to stop birds nesting in our reef. And as I was praying this week, saying, God, what should I preach on? I heard the scratching sounds of birds nesting in our reef again. And I felt Jesus lead me to this scripture and remind me that he gives birds places to go and nest in my reef. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Are you not much more valuable than the birds in my reef? says the Lord. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you 
as well. Okay, so there's our text. So I believe that this text shows us some things that we need to look at about money. And I believe it shows us some principles. And the first principle is this. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. I'm just double-checking you've got the right slide up. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So everything that we see, it all belongs to God. The clothes you're wearing belong to God. Your car that you drive belongs to God. Your house that you think that you own, or the bank owns, belongs to God. Everything Elon Musk thinks that he's accumulated belongs to God. It's all God's. None of it is ours. Paul writes that you do not belong to yourself. Christ has bought you with a cost. Everything, everything in this world, everything in all creation does not belong to anybody but God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And if you don't start with that first principle, everything starts to go awry. And that principle leads very much into the second principle of understanding money. The fall means that we want everything to belong to us. So the first principle of understanding what Jesus teaches about money is that everything belongs to God. But the second principle is this. We want everything to belong to us. So Adam and Eve, first humans created in the garden, made to be God's image bearers, to co-equally share in labouring in God's garden that he has created, not as owners of the garden, but as gardeners, working God's creation together, ruling it over, over it together, Adam and Eve together. But, but what do they do? They, they decide that they don't just want to be God's gardeners. They want it for themselves. They want to be God's. They want to be like God. They want to have the knowledge that God has. And so they take and eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, there's this, there's this thing in each of us. And as a result of the fall, every single subsequent generation of humanity has been cursed with that fallen nature. And A.W. Tozer writes this, there is within the human heart a tough and fibrous root of fallen life whose nature it is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. See, the, the, the problem is, is that as humans, what we end up doing is finding that the things that we consume us Consume, sorry, we, the things that we consume consume us and they overtake our hearts. And so we're given over to this need to possess, possess, possess. Jesus says, doesn't he, that, that the pagans run after these things. And he talks about not, not, not storing up stuff for yourself. In the parallel text from this passage uh, in Luke, Jesus gives a parable. And in this parable, this, this man wants to build a, a storehouse just to store more stuff. Because we're given over to the need to possess, always to possess. And just uh, following on from the quote I've just given you by A.W. Tozer, he writes actually that we are given over to the tyranny of things. The tyranny of things, that means that things rule over our lives. But Jesus, the work of Jesus, is to free us from the tyranny of things, first of all, and bring us adoption as God's children. As I said in the first week in this series, when I spoke about Father, the father heart of God, and the fact that we are the father's children, everything of our values flows out of that first one. And I think it really does flow into this whole thing of generosity, and you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. But you see, the work of Jesus frees us from the tyranny of things. We are freed from the fall. 
So what happens is when Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life. He lives the life that Adam and Eve couldn't live. And what he does is he is obedient to the Father's will. He doesn't, he doesn't want to just do something else. He wants to be obedient to the Father. In the same way that Adam and Eve were not obedient to God, Jesus is totally obedient to God. He lives a life that they were unable to live and dies a death that we deserve to die for our disobedience before God so that we can now have life with him. And Jesus then, uh, part of his ministry, stands up in Jerusalem and says in the temple and says, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to send me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. You see, Jesus comes to free us from the tyranny, both of our sin, but also the tyranny of our sinful nature that we want to possess and always to possess. And what he then does, and this is the wonderful news, is that he brings us into his family and, and he gives us the, the work of Jesus means that we can be adopted as God's children. So the God of everything, that first principle, that everything belongs to God. Well, if everything belongs to God, says Jesus in our text, but Jesus um, has come that we might actually be, be, be God's children. Our father is the one who has everything. We live out of the knowledge that our father is the one who has everything. Our Father has everything. And you know what? Our Father is exceedingly generous. Our Father is exceedingly generous. He's not a miser. He's exceedingly generous. Just John, 1 John 3 verse 1 shows you this very clearly. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. It's not just a little bit of love. Just a little, little bit of love. He's not just chosen to love us a bit. He's chosen a great love, and he's not just chosen to give it to us. He lavishes it on us. I'm going to throw you my love. I'm going to keep throwing it on you. I'm going to keep throwing it on you. God lavishes his love on us. The Father lavishes his love on us that we might be called his children. We are invited into a relationship with God as our Father, and we are invited to know his exceeding greatness over us, his exceeding generosity over us. You see, we can trust God. We don't have to worry, says Jesus in our text, because our Father is generous. I don't need to worry about where my next meal is coming from. The Father is generous. I don't need to worry about what, I'm, what I'm, it is I'm wearing. The Father is generous. I don't need to worry about my heating bills. I need to just lean into the Father because he is generous. And you know, our generous Father invites us into a relationship with him and it's not based on earning anything, it's based on delighting in God. We are invited into a relationship of delight. So Jesus says in our text right at the end, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of the things that I've just given to you, says Jesus, will be given to you as well. He says the principle of understanding what to do with our pockets isn't just to worry about that. It's not to worry about that at all. It's to seek God's kingdom first and then worry about that second. We need to seek God's kingdom first. When Jesus shows us how to pray, interestingly, just before what I've read is how Jesus instructs on the Lord's Prayer. And he doesn't say, bless me, God. He doesn't say, when you pray, go to God and say, bless me, God. I want your favor, God. Give me more money, God. That's not how Jesus teaches us how to pray, is it? What does Jesus say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He doesn't start with bless me, bless me, bless me. 
he teaches us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's all about God. It's all about God's kingdom, and it's not about us. You see, we are invited to delight in God. We weren't made to worry or store up treasures. We were made to find our delight in God's, not in stuff. Augustine uh, famously said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The only place you're going to be truly satisfied is finding rest in God's. The only place where where your worries about money will dissipate, your worries about the future will dissipate, is as you delight in Father God. It's the only place. The more you worry about stuff, the more you worry about what's in your pocket or your job or whatever it is that you're worrying about, you'll get consumed by it unless you turn to the Father and realise that the Father delights in you and you can delight in him. And as you do that, you are are drawn into the generosity of the heart of God. I almost preached from this text... um, Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. You know, when you you understand what it is to delight in Father God, we can get to the point where we're starting to say, earth has nothing I desire besides you, Father. It's got nothing I desire besides you. Father, I just want you. Father, I just want your ways. My heart and my flesh may fail. I'm, I'm in a body that's going to die, but the strength, but God is the strength of my heart, and He will be my portion forever. We can get to the point where, if we delight in God, that we join with the psalmist in saying these words. You see, we don't need to store up more. We don't need more stuff. We just need to live into His delight in us as we delight in Him. Because I think that the, the, the root of everything that we need to say about generosity and money is that. It begins with delight. God's delight in us and our delight in him. Generosity, your generosity, should find its place in the delight of God. We should be able to delight in the Father's generosity. And as we do that, it should lead us into being able to be generous to others. The more I delight in the Father's love and the more I delight in the Father's generosity over my life, the less power what I have in my pocket has over me. The more I delight in the Father's love, the more I can be generous to those around me. You see, and here's the other thing about all this as well. You're not adopted as an only child. You're adopted into a family. And we are all adopted as sons and daughters of God. And I think this whole thing about me and mine, you know, that Tozer says, these pronouns that are so, that they're actually quite dangerous at times. They're dangerous in terms of church as well for us because so often we sing worship songs that are about me and mine. Jesus, thank you, God, that you've given me Jesus. It's all about me, 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 me. But we're invited into a family where it's all about us. We're part of the family of God. And we're invited to delight in the generosity of God together. You're invited into a family, not as an individual, but as a family member. And so just as I I just want to kind of land this all practically with you today. um, And then I do have a few things I want to say just about this whole thing about delight. But... There are some practical things that will flow out of this attitude of, God, I'm going to delight in you. God, I'm going to place my delight into you. And the first one is is that you realise that you live in community with others. You see, the New Testament doesn't teach communism and it doesn't teach capitalism. It teaches community. It teaches us community. So as as we journey through life together, delighting in God together, as what happens in Acts 2 and Acts 4, they delight in the Spirit, the Spirit moves over them. And the attitude that flows out of that 
isn't one of capitalism or, or communism. It's one of community. And so what happens in community is that those who have give to those who don't have. And then as those who don't have gain more from lots of different ways and they become those who do have, they can give to those who don't have. You see, Jesus says in John chapter 12, you will always have the poor among you. We will always have people in our church community who are poorer. We will also always have people in our church community who are richer, but they may not always be the same people. Because I'm sure, like me, you've been through periods in your life where you've been poorer or richer, depending on what is going on in your personal circumstances. But in church community, what it should look like is if we are a church community who delights in the Father, who delights to know him, and delights just to enjoy God, what should happen? The overflow of that is that our community should look like a community where nobody is in need. Where everybody has enough. Where there's nobody, nobody going spare. Does that make sense? And we can be generous in lots of different ways. And just to sort of, as I've said before, land this a little bit practically. Look, we can be generous with our time. We can be generous with the things that we're good at. And this is both in church, serving in church, but also it's just serving one another. You know, you can be generous with somebody in the church. Maybe somebody's put their back out and you can go and do their garden for them. Maybe somebody's terrible at DIY. Maybe you can go and help them with that. So we can be generous in lots of different ways to one another. It's not just about money. But we can also be generous with our money. This, I, I know as a church community, we're good at generosity. It's something that we need to keep leaning into, but it's something that we've got already. But you wouldn't know of all the stories and all the times that people in this church, I, I get to know this stuff and I can't share who it is, but there's so many people, so many of you, have contacted me privately saying, I've heard so-and-so is in need. I'd like to give them some money, but I don't want them to know it's from me. And so what I say to them is, we'll give it into the church and we'll give it to them and they'll never know who it was from. That doesn't just happen once or twice. That happens all the time here. Okay? Because it demonstrates that we're generous to one another and we want to bless one another. But I think we can also be generous in our prayer life with one another as well. So you can delight in being generous. You can delight in giving as you know God's generosity over your life. Um, and let me just give you this as just as we, we kind of, I draw it down. So we can delight in giving financially in these ways. So I, I, we'll talk about this when we get to our series in First and Second Corinthians. But we can delight in giving our first fruits to God. So every month, Claire and I, I'm not going to call it a tithe because I, don't, I, don't wanna, I, I just don't want to complicate it. But we give a proportion of what we earn every month to God. So we give 10% every month of what we earn to God as an act of worship. It's a first fruit offering to God. God, you've got all our finances. I'm not giving you 10% of my finances. I'm keeping 90% of what you've given me. Yeah, it's that way around. God, you can have this. God, it's yours. It's all yours anyway, Lord. And that's, there's a principle there. You can read those verses if you want to look into this. Secondly, we, so we, oh, we give to God. Okay, We give to God regularly and in proportion to what we earn. Secondly, we give to our brothers and sisters in the church as we see a need, in all the ways I just listed on the previous page. And lastly, we can give to those who don't know God. I think it's important, though, we recognise that generosity within the church is what the New Testament church do. They're generous within the church first and then to those outside of it, not the other way around. Jesus says, the world will know you're my disciples when you love one another. And I think it's important that we demonstrate what the new community looks like to the people around us. And lastly, we can give to our neighbours. Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself. And so we can be generous in all of these ways. And I think there's a real attitude behind all this stuff. It's have all of me, God. 
Lord, I'm going to delight in you, God. Lord, the world has got nothing that I want apart from you, so you can have all of me, including what's in my back pocket. Jesus, it's all yours. That's the attitude of money in the Bible. God, it's all yours. You can have all of me. Just on this, though, as we finish, there's a few things I, want to, I just want to say. Um, are you delighting in God or are you worrying? So this is as we lead back into worship in a minute. Are you going after God's kingdom or are you counting the pennies? Do you need to be freed from worry over your finances as we step back into worship in a minute? And lastly, we've, I mentioned it earlier on about Turkey and what's going on in Syria. And next Sunday, we're going to have an offering to give into that because we've got a, there's a, fund, a relief fund being set up by our church movement. And so we'll talk about that more next week. So there's some practical things here as we land this morning. So are you worrying about money? Do you need to come back to God with a, an attitude of just delighting in him? Do you need to be freed from that worry this morning? And thirdly, what could you give into what God is doing? Okay, so I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for you. The band can come back up and we're just going to head back into a time of worship.